Good morning. I was just editing this week's Remnant Underground when the bad news came in that Bishop Joseph Strickland has been removed as Bishop of Tyler, Texas. It's ironic because our video tonight is on the legalization of infanticide in America, apostasy in Rome, and genocide in the Holy Land. And yet in the middle of all that, Francis removes one of the few faithful bishops left in the world today. Just can't make it up. I'm sorry, but Francis now is providing his own anathema. Uh, he, he's an old man, evidently hell-bent on bringing judgment upon himself. So it seems that he has become God's instrument of chastisement. And clearly, he has no fear of making a martyr of a guy like Bishop Joseph Strickland. He just wants him gone. And he doesn't care about the fallout, and that should be of concern for all of us. Because maybe, maybe he's trying to drive us all out of the church, right? By demoralizing every single one of us, every faithful Catholic who knows full well now that while apostate bishops are promoted by Team Francis, apostate, homosexual, promoted by Team Francis, faithful bishops are treated like common criminals. Crucify Bishop Strickland. Right, Francis? Well, at the end of the day, we have no intention of letting Francis drive us out of our own church. Francis is the one who has to go, not us. So we will oppose him with everything we have and we will stay in the church. And we take comfort in knowing that in the end, Francis will lose because God will not be mocked. God bless you, Bishop Strickland. Thank you. Thank you for standing with Christ. Thank you for standing with us, the sheep. And thank you for encouraging us all all, every one of us, to stand with Christ just as you have, no matter what happens in the Vatican in Rome. You, Your Excellency, are an inspiration in this dark time. You're an inspiration to us all, good and faithful shepherd. More on this unfolding story over at remnantnewspaper.com, friends, but here now is this week's Remnant Underground. Thank you. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Michael Matt. This is the Remnant Underground. Very happy to be back home, stateside, away from the Eternal City, <laughs> where, quite frankly, the synod on synodality seem pretty eternal too. We're gonna we're gonna talk about that tonight. We're gonna talk about a lot of the things that went on, and also we're gonna talk about massive pushback at the highest levels of the church against the insanity that is going on right now in the Vatican. We're also gonna get to the genocide in Gaza here in just a moment. But first, let's just take a quick look at the genocide going on right here at home. Abortion is healthcare. And abortion access is the law of the land in Ohio. What is this, 1958? What are they talking about? Even if you thought that abortion was something, well, you know, a little girl gets in trouble and she should be able to take care of it. I, I, I understand, I totally disagree with that, obviously, but I understand it. But celebrating this thing like it's some sort of a blood sport is a little terrifying. It's a little scary. And what do we got going on here, you know? Americans 
so excited about killing babies. They can hardly contain themselves. Aren't they just a little embarrassed? Do you really want to be a national and international TV saying, yes, I can kill babies now. Nobody's going to stop me. How are the, how are the historians going to write about us? You know? And this, inarguably now, forget this, arguably the most nominally Christian nation left in the world. Just got back from Rome, you know, where the Vatican is quite literally now fiddling while the entire world burns like this. You know, they're killing babies in America and the Vatican is talking about synodality and journey and pathways as though they matter. Callous disregard for what's actually happening in the world. For the folks who are going to hell, objectively speaking, all over the world. For the babies who are dying for the war. They don't care. They got their sin on synodality. We're going to talk about that tonight. Again, I want to talk about the pushback, which was massive and at the highest levels now. Pushback against what Team Francis is doing. But first, I just want to make it real clear. I want to draw your attention uh, to all of the RTV synodal coverage, which included a lot of conferences, a lot of alliances, a lot of cardinals and bishops that we were able to interview and talk to. It's a big deal, okay, over there in Rome. And all of our coverage is available right now at runthenewspaper.com. Here's a, here's a little highlight reel. Or if the Catholic Church has a position on homosexuality that is at odds with the mainstream globalist agenda, the Catholic Church must change. So everything that we're seeing here is about an agree agreement of the church at the highest levels to comply with this idea of equity and inclusion. Hear that Rome can by no means partake in these assemblies, nor is it in any way lawful for Catholics to give to such enterprises their encouragement or support. This is the problem of our time since the Council. There were uh, bombs, time bombs, put there with ambiguity. Mm -hmm. And the deepest ambiguity is the relativism, the undermining of the uniqueness of the Catholic Church. Because all the efforts of the human powers on this earth, right now, have one plan, one agenda. And that's to flatten the Catholic Church. It's not a duty to stand with Christ. It is hands down and without a doubt, the greatest honor of our lives. So much went on, friends, and I, and I really want to stress this, the good and the bad. There is a war on right now, a public, out-in-the-open war going on. So I hope these videos will kind of be a, a useful resource as we all brace now. Don't forget, the Synod on Synodality is all about synodality, all about the conversation, putting everything on the table. Homosexuality, gay unions, married priests, uh, you know, ordained deaconesses, a whole bit. The Catholic Church has finally gotten over herself. And they're showing that we've gotten over ourselves by having synodality, discussions about everything. It's all on the table. So we need to brace ourselves now, really, for a full year of synodal brainwashing leading up to the final synod 
and of course another apostolic, presumably another apostolic exhortation by Francis, from Francis, next October. This thing is just getting going. But I got to tell you, I am very encouraged by what we've seen so far. <laughs> We're going to fight them tooth and nail, not just us, not just lower level folks, but cardinals and bishops are going to fight these guys like nothing anyone has ever seen over the course of the next year. Again, this is war. It's the highest profile resistance yet, right? I, no, you're absolutely right. Absolutely. It's the highest profile because, you know, before we did have Archbishop Lefebvre and we had some of that going on, sort of like resistance down in the catacombs underground, you know, and, and it was very, very important. It was history-changing stuff. What I have never seen in my life is what we saw this time, and I'm walking through some of this up on the screen, cardinals, archbishops, bishops, just standing up, not just the Cardinal Mullers, who's absolutely on fire, but other, other bishops who during the, the press conference, when we were at the press conferences at the Vatican, you could sense there were bishops like Brolio, for example, um, who's the president of the USCCB, showing frustration, talking about the fact that less than, we're going to get to that in a minute, less than 1% of the world's Catholics even care about this synod, uh, that no priests, no pastors, he brought this up, I couldn't believe my ears, no pastors <laughs> were brought into this synod. And he turned and he asked for confirmation. He said to the, to the other people who represent the synod, no pastors here, why not? Because those, obviously those are the, the ultimate listeners. Pastors are spread throughout the world, 400,000, whatever it is now, throughout the whole world, listening to the Catholic people, and the Vatican didn't bring, didn't make special emphasis to bring in the pastors of the church to hear what they're really saying. No, 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 because they don't care what the pastors are saying or what the pastors are doing or listening to. What they want to listen to are radicals who are demanding that the church change. That's what this thing was all about. And you can see it everywhere you look over there with the folks that are handpicked by Francis. Rabid modernists rabid, useful idiots of the globalist agenda, right? And they're ready now to spend the next 12 months trashing what is left of the Catholic Church. This is what they sound like. I think what we're going to, uh, well, what we will discover is not uh, a, what you might say a, a new idea, but we will learn to uh, live uh, within those structures or uh, to move with those structures, or maybe even best to say that those structures will uh, move with us uh, in a synodal fashion, and that this uh, will allow those structures, which is a kind of a stiff or, or uh, inflexible word, it, it will allow those structures to be more supple and to uh, be able to uh, fulfill their purpose better. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, I see eminence. We've got to make those structures a little more supple. So what you're saying is you're not, you're not going to change the st structures, no? You're just going to make them more supple. So, just, so the structures are going to change themselves. Now th this friend, this is a classic example. I mean, we, we noticed this over in Rome you, when, when you think about when you think of the revolution since Vatican II and you think of Rahner and you think of Shilobix and you think of Hans Kuhn and you think of all these guys, like them or not, brilliant intellects. This is what we're left with now like the grandsons of the great modernists who did have theological training. And they say the stupidest things like we just saw, and they expect the Catholic people who are listening, the few who are listening, to be just dumbed down enough to not know what the heck they're talking about. And so they just keep cranking it out. You know, the whole time that I was in Rome, I was thinking, how, how can these guys be so delusional as to actually somehow imagine that anyone anywhere 
gives a flying rat's lower spinal extremity about their stupid synod. People are losing their houses, they're losing their jobs. They're at war, their countries are destroyed, their borders are open. And this? This is what the mighty Catholic Church comes up with. We've got to make the structures a little more supple so in the future the structures will change. Well, evidently, I think I was right, not too many people worldwide actually do give a, <laughs> a darn about what was happening over in Rome. Participation in the two years leading up to the Synod, less than 1% of the Catholics throughout the world participated. <laughs> less than 1%. After they were chasing everybody around the diocesan level throughout the whole world for 12 months, that's all they could get. Nobody wants to show up to listen to Karen and Sheila talk about what they that they don't feel welcome in the church of accompaniment. I mean, less than 1%. What, what this means, friends, is that Cardinal Gerhard Muller was absolutely right. This is tyranny, what we're looking at. This is, this is uh, ecclesiastical tyranny, a tyrannical and hostile takeover of the Catholic Church, which is 100% now based on a lie. Nel sondaggio che è stato fatto dopo il sino della Massonia a tutti i vescovi del mondo, il secondo posto delle preferenze era questo, sinodalità. Il primo era nei preti, il terzo credo una questione sociale. Ma secondo, tutti i vescovi del mondo vedevano la necessità di riflettere sulla sinodalità. Perché? Really, Francis? Are you telling the truth there? I mean, that's... That's what they told you, these guys? I mean, you, you said the same thing that they had told you, that they, all the bishops had told you that they wanted to get rid of the Latin Mass, so that turned out to be not quite true, right? So what about this? You're kind of making it up again? I mean, think about it. With, with all the sex scandals in the church, and the wars, and the state, the bishops just got to have more synodality? It doesn't work for me. I gotta have more cowbell. I just, I just find this really hard to believe, what Francis just said. Just came back from Rome. Most of the bishops there, they were being pressed. See, imagine, we're sitting in the press hall at press conferences and members of the press asking questions. And one of the questions that came up constantly, well, what is synodality? And most of these bishops were pretty hard pressed to even define the word, let alone demand of the Holy Father that we need synodality. It's making it up. You know, and when they, when they couldn't even tell us what it meant, these guys, these poor guys, that they just resorted to their fallback, their plan B, while the spirit wants synodality. And you can see how creative the Holy Spirit is. And uh, this uh, synod uh, is particularly uh, special for us because of uh, the new uh, approaches. You, you hear that? It's uh, because of the spirit and uh, the the new approaches. They're all talking. Lots of ums, lots of ahs. Well, they try to figure out what's going on here. Oh, yeah, the spirit. The spirit's flying all over the bingo hall while these guys were, were selling mind-numbing kindergarten theology, complete with finger painting, bright colors, the whole bit. Synodality is about journeying together. This happens through listening to one another in order to hear what God is saying to all of us. It is realizing that the Holy Spirit can speak through anyone 
to help us walk forward together on our journey as the people of God. Think, think about this. Now, this wasn't some sort of an anomaly. This is the artwork that was presented throughout the whole church. They're treating the church like kindergartners, right? I'm not exaggerating. Who uses graphics like this? Can you imagine Charles Borromeo with his, his Crayolas getting ready? You know, Pius V. Okay, the Council of Trent's coming out here, guys. Anybody, any finger painters out there? Let's get this going here. So what's happened to the Catholic Church? That's how you, that rot, childish nonsense, is what they use to appeal to the Catholic people. And, and, and what is this all about? What are the people with the Crayolas? What, what is it all about? <laughs> well, it's about discovering new ways of being church. The point is not that we take two years to understand some new buzzword that will soon fade. Synodality is no passing phase. It is a call to be a new way of being church. <laughs> Prepubescent nonsense. And newsflash, friends, they're not listening to the Holy Spirit. They're simply not. You can see it. They're listening to radicals because they're there. They're gathered at the bingo tables in order to listen to a different spirit, the spirit of the age, which is telling the Catholic Church to conform to modernity, to the new order. They didn't, uh, they avoided uh, so often to speak uh, about the Holy Spirit, the spirit of Jesus Christ, the Son, and, and God the Father. Uh, not only uh, is, is spirituality in the sense of uh, Protestant congregationalism, where everybody or the Quakers, uh, everybody can speak and they are saying uh, this uh, is the voice of the Holy uh, Spirit. I had the impression uh, that uh, some people, when they had the occasion to speak, they presented their own subjective ideas for the modernization of the church. Look, kids, a real live adult with a synod on synodality. There were a few. There were a couple who showed up. But the poor man, Walter, put that picture of poor Cardinal Muller back up on the screen. I mean, look at, look at his face. Look at that poor, tormented German theologian's face <laughs> sitting there at the bingo tables listening to Father Jimmy over here. If you want to talk about the same thing forever, I am happy. No, I am ecstatic to go on that journey with you. I am. Uh, I, I, I just get this. Cardinal Muller, people like that of that stature, had as much authority at the Synod, you know, input at the Synod, as that nutter that we just saw, and this one. I invite you to take a deep breath, to be here now with each other and with God. Let's slow down just for a second. So please take a deep, slow breath in. And slowly exhale. Thank you. Wow. I think I may have just heard the spirit. Did you hear that? I, think I, heard so. I heard the spirit there for just a second. I don't know what, it was like lunch. He was telling us lunch is coming. Is that what you heard? Uh, yeah. yeah, something about lunch. It's fantastic. But, but seriously, friends, I'm having a little fun with this. But one of these two nutters that we just showed you, one of them, really was brought in as an expert at the Synod rolling out their theological finger painting for Cardinal Muller. And I got a question for you. 
we'll put a picture of each one up here on the screen. Can you guess which one? Which one was at the Senate as an expert? And I didn't think so. They all sound the same. So this freak show was basically like a Catholic version of the whole equity and inclusion program of Agenda 2030. That's what it's all about. The adoption of the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development at the World Summit, which opens today, is an important sign of hope. Now Cardinal Muller, he actually confirmed this. He had an interview with Edward Penton, the National Catholic Register, I think it was on the 27th of October, and he confirmed that when he said that the goal of the Synod is to make the church, quote, conform with Agenda 2030. That's quite a statement. But Cardinal Muller has been over there saying this all for, for, the, for a long, long time. He did it at the CIC again when I interviewed him. He is blowing the whistle, not just on the liturgical problem, new mass versus old mass, you know, new theology. He's blowing the whistle on the fact that the Vatican is aligning itself with Davos. He's done it many times now with Klaus Schwab, the whole thing. So he's really understanding what's happening here. This is what I mean about significant pushback, such as what we've never seen before. And remember, this guy is not some retired old fellow that came out of mothballs. This is the head of the CDF, the top theologian in the Catholic Church under Pope Benedict. What they mean by this accommodation or coming towards the Agenda 2030 Catholic style is, is a drastic reset of every aspect of the church. This is, whether you're Catholic or not, it doesn't matter. What they're trying to do is get the largest and most powerful Christian denomination out of the way of this new world order. So everything has to be reset in Christianity in the church. And once they reset the Catholic church, there's going to be nothing, no, no stopping them as far as Christianity is concerned. Everything has to change from theology to blessing gay unions to reforming papal conclave. A cardinal ad canon lawyer denies that he is involved in changing the papal election process to make it more synodal following reports over the weekend. Catholic outlets, The Pillar and The Remnant reported that Pope Francis had tasked Cardinal John Franco Girlanda with drafting revisions to papal elections. Girlanda is an Italian Catholic cardinal closely associated with the Vatican. The reported revisions, including changing the pre-conclave meetings to have synod on synodality style small group discussions and limiting the pre-conclave meetings to only those cardinals who are under 80 and eligible to vote. But in an email to EWTN News this week, Cardinal Girlanda said, quote, I do not know anything about it, and any implication I have in it is a pure lie. Needless to say, friends, we stand by our reporting. We trust our sources in Rome. So stay tuned and let's find out. But you know they have to do that. They have to change the conclave. They have to bring women in and lay people in if they want to have a woke church. It's only, <laughs> it's only obvious that eventually you've got to get rid of the Sistine Chapel and the smoke and the cardinals, the patriarchal cardinals all sitting inside the Sistine, making these massive decisions for the future of the church. You can't, that's not going to be allowed to continue in the church of accompaniment that Francis is building. So Vatican denials, like we just saw, sorry, they, they mean nothing. They mean nothing to me anymore. A day after the synod closed, I think it was, they dropped this bomb.
The dicastery for the doctrine of the faith has clarified doubts about whether transgender and homosexual persons can be godparents, witnesses at Catholic marriages, and be baptized. The Vatican published this document in response to the doubts presented by Bishop Jose Negri of Brazil. The dicastery says there is nothing in current universal canon law that forbids transgender and homosexual persons who live together from being witnesses to Catholic marriages. The document also references the Code of Canon Law regarding whether they can be godparents at baptisms. In order to be a godfather or godmother, one must have capacity for this mission and intention to carry it out. And it is necessary that the person chosen as a sponsor leads a life congruent with the faith and with the mission he or she is going to assume. In this sense, homosexual and transgender persons could be a baptismal godparent. The same applies in the case of those who have undergone hormone treatment and gender reassignment surgery. Well, that certainly is a new take on fairy godmother, isn't it? And folks, this has nothing to do, let me make this point. It's so important because some people are still falling for that. Well, it's just pastoral. He's just trying to reach out to people. This has absolutely nothing to do with pastoral zeal for the souls of those who live in public state of mortal sin. <laughs> so that they might repent and convert. Don't. It had nothing to do with that. In a new letter that just came out today, for example, Archbishop Carla Maria Vigano writes that this is moved by what he calls, quote, the desire to normalize their behavior, leaving the condemnation of sodomy to the merely theoretical level, while effectively admitting those who practice it, not only to the sacraments, but also to those functions such as godfather at baptism, confirmation sponsor, best man at a wedding, from which the church has always excluded those who, by the conduct of their personal lives, publicly contradict the teachings of our Lord. And we've been seeing this going on for a long time. So you have this thing on the books, this law, these rules on the book, but the Vatican, under Pope Francis, is just pretending like they, they don't exist anymore. Because that's rigid. That's why he's always going after rigid Catholics. What he means is people who follow God's law, the natural law, moral law. Got to get rid of that. You know, those structures that are so rigid, we got we to make them more supple. And again, the name of the game here is equity and inclusion. You can't have a whole class of people, people who identify as gay and lesbian, who are not allowed to be functioning at every level of the Catholic Church. Why? Because that would be exclusion. And as Klaus Schwab has told us, it must be inclusion. Equity for all. You see, there are no sinners anymore. Sin's an antiquated medieval idea. That's why they haven't been talking about sin in the pulpits for 40 years. Because remember, this revolution doesn't start with Francis, it goes back to the Second Vatican Council and before that, when modernism was taken over the church. You see, there are no sinners because there's no law of God to violate. There's no law of God recognized now in a new world order and the Catholic Church is being asked by the globalists to hoist the flag of surrender, the white surrender flag, that we're giving up on all this. Everyone's included, everyone's welcome, is what they're saying. And what does that mean? That means the Catholic Church will be out of the path, out of the way of this, <laughs> this new world order of theirs.
Today, this historical materialism of Marxism, Leninism, etc., is called, nothing has changed, all the, the name has changed, is called the New World Order of Davos World Economic Forum. With, with Klaus Schwab as his god and Yuval Harari as his prophet. But he is a, a false prophet of this world without the living God. Remember when all we heard about was Agenda 2030? Constantly, Agenda 2030? Well, suddenly, what does it become? Have you noticed this? Suddenly, it seemed to be more like Agenda 2050. And do you know why? Because of the pushback, because people are waking up, because resistance is not futile. <laughs> Even poor Tony Guterres over at the United Nations is beginning to freak out. But as we gather this weekend, the goals are in trouble. Today, only 15% of the targets are on track, with many going into reverse. The SDGs need a global rescue plan. Calm down, Tony, man. The problem is nobody cares. So your little revolution there is supposed to be like a, a grassroots revolution of the people who are afraid of the planet burning up and all oh, the oppression and it's inequality and all of this stuff. They're actually just trying to live their lives. They don't give a rat's lower spinal extremity about the sustainable development goals of the United Nations. You know that, right, Tony? Especially the young people. To the women and young people joining us, Keep calling out for change in your communities and fighting for your rights and a place at every table. I mean, now you guys, you globalists, you got them all unemployed thanks to COVID. They're all hooked on drugs. They're hooked on video games, maybe changing some body parts. Undereducated. Totally undereducated because you pulled them out of schools and you think they're going to become champions of the SDGs. <laughs> what a joke. Massive waking up right now, friends. There's a guy named Pascal Najadi, who's the son, get this, he's the son of the World Economic Forum's co-founder. He co-founded the WEF with, gosh, right? Well, he's out there now calling, <laughs> it's too good to be true. He's calling for the arrest of Klaus Schwab, for the arrest of Bill Gates and the folks running WHO and fires and everybody else. Here he is. Everything evil in the world related to demo side unfortunately comes from Geneva. You have WHO in Geneva, you have Gavi, then you have the WEF, the World Economic Forum, which my father was a co-founder and left Klaus Schwab out of disgust in the early 80s, that has diplomatic immunity. I as a Swiss citizen right here now declare that the WEF is not eligible anymore for diplomatic immunity. I call on the Swiss authorities and security to arrest those people immediately. Why the WEF, WHO, Gavi, Big Pharma, Big Tech, Bill Gates, all advocate. Absolutely staggering. And of course, I would tell Mr. Najati, if I had his ear, that he really should add Pope Francis to that list. Yeah, he should. 
Francis, the moral and spiritual leader of the world, supposedly, he told two billion Catholics, and who knows how many more billion Christians, that they had a sacred obligation before God to get vaxxed. Why, he gets off scot-free? He just gets to do it again? <laughs> Add him to the list. It's trickling down. Here's the World Economic Forum's global leader of tomorrow, Scott Galloway, smart guy, who's had enough, and he's now apologizing for what they did to us. I wanted a harsher lockdown policy, and in retrospect, I was wrong. The, the, the damage to kids of keeping them out of school longer was greater than the risks. But here's the bottom line. Myself, our, our great people the CDC, I'd like to think the governor, we were all operating with imperfect information and we were doing our best. You sure about that? Let's learn from it. Let's learn from it. Let's hold each other accountable. But let's bring a little bit of grace and forgiveness in the, yeah. the shit show that was COVID. Yeah. Meanwhile, there's people that stated an opinion in 2020 and they still are doing mental gymnastics to try to make it seem like that was the right choice. No, it was just a panic. Yeah. Um, and, and a lot of deaths got ascribed to COVID that had nothing to do with COVID. And in fact, I'd say in the beginning, um, the cure is worse than the disease. So, uh, because people panic too much. And so that somebody would um, get diagnosed with COVID, they put them on uh, intubated vent ventilator for a week, and this was gonna basically cook your lungs. And to think that all of this could have been avoided, all the death, all the mayhem could have been avoided, the war in Europe, if enough people had just turned off their TV. And now, whether we're talking COVID lies or the primetime Ukraine show, everybody's starting to wake up. So we were told by the people who wanted the U.S. involved in this war, not just involved in it, but to fuel it, to prevent diplomatic negotiations from taking place with the possibility of ending the war very early on. We were told by those people that they were so concerned about Ukrainians and so concerned about Ukraine that the United States had to send tens of billions of dollars over there and all sorts of weaponry and flood the country with arms in order to protect Ukrainians. And anybody like the two of us and other people who stood up and said, this isn't a good idea, this is going to be counterproductive, we were accused of not caring about the Ukrainians, of cheering for the Russians, when none of that was true. All along, the point was that there was no way Ukraine could possibly win a war against Russia, a country way larger with a much better military, even if NATO is behind it. The only thing that is going to happen is that this war will be prolonged. Huge numbers of young Ukrainians and then older Ukrainians, not people who volunteered, but who are conscripts. Zelensky has been fighting with a conscript army since the beginning are going to die. And I would argue it's even worse than that since the Biden administration and our European allies provoked this war on purpose. They've known for 20 years that the red line for Russia was NATO expansion onto its borders. And they sent the vice president, Kamala Harris, to the Munich Security Conference two Februarys ago to tell Zelensky, we want you in NATO, knowing that this would provoke a war. I mean yep, yep, and yep exactly as we were saying on this show two years ago. Because they think that this war started a couple of weeks ago, just like Anderson said, a couple, three weeks ago, when a reincarnated Adolf Hitler invaded Ukraine. You remember these senators who got us all embroiled in the war in 2003, by the way, when we went searching for weapons of mass destruction because 
At that time, Saddam Hussein was the devil incarnated, re reincarnated Adolf Hitler madman, right? It didn't lead to anything more than 20 years of war and a massive destabilization of this country. It gave us Barack Obama, arguably. It also gave us Joe Biden. The same cl clowns that were involved with that, the same neocons, the same war hawks. I got a question for you now. What were those same senators, Graham and McCain, doing in Ukraine? privately declaring war on Vladimir Putin. Our fight is not with the Russian people, but with Putin. Our promise to you is to take your cause to Washington and make the case against Putin to the world. Again, they were just trying to expand NATO and set up a U.S. base of operation in Ukraine? Is that all they were trying to do? Because that's what the madman says. And that's what he didn't like. That's what he's so upset about. So it's up to us to decide if it's true. Is what they were doing before we start World War III over this? So we go back to the old standby, you know, the thing that always works. War in the Mideast, war in the Holy Land. Let's go tear the hell out of the birthplace of Christianity one more time. That always works. Wars are always so much easier to sell in the Holy Land, aren't they? To go for smart bombs falling down the chimney, 2,500 missions a day, 100 days. One video of one bomb, Mr. Moss, the American people bought that war. Mm -hmm. War is show business. But this is a good one. This is always a good one. You see, because you can't say anything about this one without being accused of anti-Semitism. <laughs> Never mind that the Palestinians are Semites due to their little connection to the Canaanites a long, long time ago. Never mind that. Never mind that the Palestinians are Christian, too. <laughs> doesn't fit the narrative. It's time to turn Palestine into a parking lot. Why? Because we watch TV and we know what's going on. <laughs> Kill the Palestinians! It's working. So far we got 10,000 dead Palestinians, 5,000 of which, of whom are kids, teens. While Hamas, by the way, you think we're defending Hamas, you know where Hamas is right now? They anticipated everything that's going on in there. They're under the ground. They're fine. They're safely tunneled underground. It's the regular people like us, once again, just like it was the regular people, like the Ukrainian kids are dead to 50, 60,000 of them. They're the ones who are doing the dying again over in the Mideast, over in Gaza, as they always are. But who cares, right? Who cares about Gaza? Who cares if they're dying there? We are Bible-believing American patriots. We're from America. <laughs> We're 5,000 miles from danger. Who cares? We can afford to be all sanctimonious and patriotic with our warmongering, right? Let them die. Besides, most of them are Muslims. Where does that come from? Where exactly did Jesus say turn the other cheek. <laughs> Unless we're talking Muslims, then bomb the living hell out of all of them. Where, where does he say that again in the Bible? Could you just cite the verse there? You can hate Muslims all you want, but if you refuse to understand why so many of their young men are triggered, because their homelands have been bombed and crushed and wiped out pretty much all of my life because of the neocon warmongering experiments, if you refuse to understand what's triggering these people, you're, not, you're part of the problem.
And you're never, ever going to be part of a peaceful solution. Can we just stop, please? Yes, Hamas would probably take me out just as soon as they would take an Israeli out. It's not the point. I'm not defending them. I'm just saying I get why they're triggered. I'm also not, a, not a, a, a defending the horrific attack on October 7th. It was brutal. It was a bloodbath. But you got to ask the question, what led up to the bloodbath? Why did Hamas go up against the Israeli nuclear arsenal with its massive military machine and its incredible, the, the most powerful surveillance state in the world. Why do these little Hamas guys do this again? They must have known there was gonna be incredible retaliation, right? It's because they were desperate. And a lot of that has to do with our, with the US foreign policy. We're messing with these people all of my life, displacing 700,000 Palestinians just to get this thing started. And now I'm going to sit out there and say, nuke them all, gas them all, carpet bomb them all. <laughs> I don't want to be that person. But we're not allowed to talk this way. I get it. This will probably get us taken down from YouTube. If it, if it won't now, it will in a few months when the current thing gets completely out of control again. We're not allowed to ask these questions about why this is happening. We're not allowed to get serious. We're only allowed to listen and watch the TV. Keep our eyes open wide. Watch the TV and then consider ourselves well-informed enough to make decisions, to weigh in on this. Same thing happened in Ukraine. We weren't allowed to ask questions two years ago, remember? Ukraine simply was invaded by the evil Russia, by the empire, the evil empire. Russia, they were they just went in there to kill people. That was the whole point. Unprovoked, had nothing to do with a civil war from 2014 moving on, had nothing to do with NATO trying to come up and encroach on Russia. We were perfectly fine. John McCain, Victoria Nuland, oh man, Lindsey Graham. These guys were just doing God's will. When they provoked civil war in Ukraine. And Russia was just being evil. Yeah, that's what they told us on the TV. And now everybody's dead. What, 100,000 dead? Maybe half a million dead? Nobody's quite sure how many people are dead. But who cares, right? Because we didn't die. We just got to watch it on TV. So are we really going to let them do this again? Friends? <laughs> fresh off Ukraine, fresh off COVID, fresh off lockdown. Are you going to let them do this again to us? It's two years later? I mean, come on. You know there's, there's more to this story, right? And over in Gaza, Israel, Palestine. You know there's more to it. All of our lives we've been watching this thing, this drama, this, 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 this land grab, and then the back and forth, and the warring, and the genocide, and all of our lives. You think it started on October 7th? Scott Ritter is a former United Nations weapons inspector, pretty serious guy. He knows a lot about war. He's a U.S. Marine Corps intelligence officer, knows a lot about war and politics in this region. He was deplatformed by YouTube, of course. You know why? Because he turned off his TV and he started saying things like this. This has been going on for some time now. I mean, Gaza became an open air prison almost immediately after 
Israel became a nation in 1948. If you study the you know the events of, of that time, the Israelis had a, a a policy of depopulating the Palestinian lands, the territories that were populated by Palestinian people, either killing them and they killed thousands of them or driving them out. And 700 plus thousand were ethnically cleansed in this manner, many of which were of them were sent to Gaza. The only solution is the creation of a Palestinian state. If you want to defeat Hamas, and the only way you're going to defeat Hamas, you have to create a Palestinian state that diffuses Hamas's reason to exist. Wow. Guy makes a lot of sense. Seems like he knows what he's talking about, too. But it's just too bad that Sean Hannity and those guys say that he's... This Ritter guy is obviously an anti-Semite because Israel has the right to defend herself. So nuke the Palestinians, right? Who cares what the experts are saying? We know what we're doing. Okay, fine. Can't talk about it. I realize, I always say on this show, I'm so happy and grateful that this audience is mostly on board on any of these hot button issues. And I know you all are. But we still got to talk a few of our friends off the, off the bridge, right? Off the ledge. So... I guess I won't say anything about this. I will just allow a Jew, a renowned Jewish historian, right? And I'm going to ask the question, what if, what if this historian, what if he were to say, he lives part-time in Israel, by the way, really knows what's going on. He's written a bunch of books about it. What if he were to say the pretty much the exact same thing that Ritter was trying to say, to try to give context and meaning and purpose for what's happening, why this is happening. If he were to say the same thing, is he also an anti-Semite? I think the main uh, attempt here is to make sure that people do not understand the context in which the Hamas operation uh, occurred. To totally dishistoricize uh, that event, to forget about the uh, 15 years of inhuman siege on Gaza, or 56 years of a ruthless occupation and ethnic cleansing in the West Bank, and 75 years of not allowing refugees to come back uh, to their homes. Uh, rather than talking about the symptom of violence, we should talk about the source of violence. And the source of violence has not changed. We have millions of Palestinians for years being oppressed, ruled and controlled by, by Israel. And they are fighting with the means that they have. Uh, and this is going to go on uh, unless, of course, there is a willingness to go back to the uh, negotiation table and ask why the uh, violence erupted in the first place and what are the best ways to prevent another cycle of violence uh, in the future? Again, doesn't seem to be all that anti-Semitic, so I guess he must just be a self-hating Jew, right? Carpet bomb Gaza then. Because that's what Jesus would do, for sure. Let's try one more. How about a Hungarian-Canadian physician, also a Jewish guy? And a Holocaust survivor. What if he were to try to speak a little common sense to what's happening in Israel and Gaza right now? What's happening is a massive war crime. And just as the events of October the 7th are not justifiable by anything that Israel did before, although it's explainable, it's not justifiable, the two are not the same thing. At the same time, what Israel is doing right now is not in any way justifiable. It's not a response to what just happened. It's what Israel has always done when there was much less provocation. The killing of large number of Palestinians. Let this mass murder stop. 2,000 Palestinian children. Israel has dropped more bombs within a few days on this small territory 
five miles by 25 miles than Americans dropped in a whole year in Afghanistan. Today, the number is closer to 3,000 Palestinian yeah. children killed. Yeah. Who can possibly justify that? Who can believe that this is defensive? No, this is simply a continuation of what's going on for a long time. It needs to stop. And anybody of conscience, Jewish, non-Jewish, needs to demand that our politicians, for once, act on the principles that they say they believe in, which is justice and peace. So a ceasefire right now. Did I mention that this fellow lost both of his grandparents at Auschwitz? I, I doubt he's an anti-Semite, right? Maybe he's just a guy with a big heart. Maybe he's a guy who's using his head. Maybe he's a guy that's not watching TV so much anymore, right? Just honest enough to admit that what's going on right now is a war crime, is genocide, without defending what happened on October 7th at all. But the retaliation on what's happening now, they've wanted this. You can Google it. Israel has wanted to move the Christians and the Palestinians out of Gaza forever. And now they have an opportunity to do it. And that's what these guys are worried about. Jewish guys are worried about. So after a while, you got to wonder how, how many of these truth tellers, the Jewish truth tellers, are we prepared to dismiss for the sake of the ranting and raving of Sean Hannity and Joy Behar on The View? What about us, American Christians? You think maybe it's time for us to stand up and take a little chance here? Stand up for the Christians? For the Christian and the Muslim Palestinians who did nothing wrong, just people like us trying to raise their kids are getting bombed to death right now in a genocide that we're helping to finance? Don't you think we're obligated to say something? I don't understand. Where does the love of God go when the folks on TV tell us to hate people and tell us to support their annihilation? What does this have to do with Christianity? And again, I, I couldn't care any less if some liberals agree with me on this one. I couldn't care any less. I have no political party <laughs> with which to identify as a traditional Catholic. Because every one of these parties, is there more than one? It's hard to tell right now, isn't it? But to varying degrees, they're all at war with Christ the King. Or they're utterly indifferent to the social kingdom of Jesus Christ. What do I really have in common with them? Oh, they're pro-life. Are they? <laughs> Are they? I always like to talk about it. every every single pro-life president. <laughs> yeah, a pro-choice wife. Ever think about that? Reagan, Bush, these guys, all their wives were pro-abortion. What do you think the chances of, of that being, being normal and not part of this game? So yeah, they've been using this abortion thing forever, but are they really truly pro-life? No, I'm a traditional Catholic. And when I felt obligated before God and history to stand against the invasion, the illegal war crime invasion of Iraq in these pages back in 2003 in this newspaper and lost half of our subscribers for doing it, you know what? We stood against the entire Republican Party, the allegedly Christian party, the allegedly pro-life conservative establishment. Yeah, and we found ourselves in bed. You ready for this? Because when you take tough stands, things happen weird. You find out you have strange bedfellows. Because we found ourselves in bed with Noam Chomsky and people like that.
a whole host of anti-neocon liberals who just happen to be like us against bombing the world to hell in the name of democracy. <laughs> you know? And you know what? We were right to do that back in 2003. We were right to do what we did with Ukraine. We were right to do what we, what we did with COVID. And I think we're right right now to stand up for the Palestinians. I have no intention of being cowed into changing my little avatar every few minutes to demonstrate my allegiance, my allegiance to the latest current thing being crammed down our throats by neocon media personalities and politicians pretending to be pro-life, really. We're done with that. They're using unborn babies. They're using that cause as a human shield in their quest to bomb the world in the name of a new world order of some sort. Sorry, friends, I'm, I'm not a Republican. I'm a Catholic. I'm, I'm sure as hell not a Christian Zionist. Many evangelicals believe that once Jews fully control the land, Jesus will return to earth and rapture Christians up to heaven. So why do American evangelicals support a state that directly hurts Palestinians, including their fellow Christians? You have my sisters and brothers who are supposed to be my support, actually doing all their best to support the ones who are oppressing us. They point to one biblical verse in particular, Genesis 12:3, that they believe references the modern state of Israel. We read the same Bible, but then they are using the Bible as a weapon, I guess. You know, we Christians call the Bible Injil, the good news. So they've turned the good news into our nightmare. Why is their read of the Bible so different? Evangelicals read the Bible in a very literal and simple way. They believe that you have to trust Israel so that God blesses you. So it's like Israel becomes a gauge of whether you receive blessing from God. You know, I, 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 don't, I don't blame these folks. You know who I blame for that sort of delusion, that for sort of misreading of the Bible, that sort of heresy? I blame the Catholic Church once again. They're over there in Rome right now talking synodality and journeys and nonsense. While the world is confused, while people who are trying to follow Jesus Christ and trying to interpret the Bible end up engaging in war to exterminate people in the name of Jesus Christ and the Bible. Where is the Catholic Church? And that's, of course, where it always comes back, as far as we're concerned on our show. It always comes back to the war to restore and reclaim the Catholic Church. Because what's it going to be for you now, right? Good people? What's it going to be? The neocon agenda of perpetual wars of aggression in the name of the globo homo empire of lies? You get drag queens going to the libraries over in Gaza City if we win this one? You really think we occupy the high ground here? Or is it going to be Christian Zionism with its sad and pathetic heretical notion of wars in the name of the rapture? <laughs> it's insanity. As you probably guess, I choose neither of the above. I'm a Catholic refugee trying to remind people living in the real world, in my world, that the only way to stop the wars, the only way to prevent the lockdowns in the future, the only way to avoid the jabs, the only way to save the babies, save the family, postpone Armageddon, is to pledge allegiance to Christ the King. That's it. Pledge allegiance to Jesus Christ, the Lord of history, the Son of God, 
who in the end will come in glory not to rapture us all into his kingdom here on earth, but rather to judge the living and the dead in whose company we all will be included. And when that happens, all the nations of the world will be gathered together before him, and he will separate them as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, the goats on his left, and he'll say to the sheep, Come ye, blessed of my Father, possess you the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. That's what the Bible actually says. So what about us? Will we end up with the sheep or the goats? Turn off your TV.